Well, we've just about time to get going. We're going to complete Malachi tonight. We're going to be looking at the fourth chapter. We'll complete a study of the fourth chapter tonight, which will bring the book to its conclusion. And then next Wednesday night, we're going to start a new, it's not really a book study or a doctrine study, but it's a, I hope it'll be an interesting study. And if you don't keep coming, then we'll know it didn't work. But the study is going to be how to study and interpret the Bible. We're going to put together a class or course or study on how to study the Bible, interpret the Bible, and hermeneutics, Bible interpretation, and we'll cover a lot of different things in there. And actually, when we get down the road in the study a little bit, we'll give you some opportunities to take some handouts if you want and do some work at home during the week and see how you fare. So that's what we're going to try, and as I said, if it doesn't fly, then that's all right, but that's what we're going to do. We're going to be in Malachi chapter 4 tonight, if you'd open your Bibles there, please, and here's what the text says, and you'll notice it begins with that conjunction 4, starting in verse 1 of chapter 4. We'll point that out later. For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff, and the day that is coming will set them ablaze says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. You will tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this book of Malachi. What a privilege it has been to have spent these past nine weeks just going through it and seeing what you've inspired. It's just a real privilege to have the Word of God in our language so we can study it. We pray that as we look at this passage tonight, you'll speak to our hearts through it. We'll thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to begin this final study tonight on the book of Malachi by refreshing our memories on what God's people were actually doing. These were people going to worship at the temple, by the way. They're very religious people, but they certainly did not have hearts that were right with the Lord. And Malachi has been pointing that out all throughout the book. I mean, he uses a series of questions and innuendos and direct statements to point out 31 things that angered God. And remember, these are people doing these things as they're going to worship. They question God's love. They did not honor God as God. They didn't respect God. They despised the name of God. They gave God defiled offerings. They could not recognize that their worship meant nothing and should be shut down. They were weary and tired of giving God worship and offerings. They gave God blemished offerings that they didn't want anymore. They didn't reverence God. They didn't stand in awe of God. They did not want true biblical instruction. They would not listen to nor respond to true biblical instruction. They actually turned away from God's word. They caused other people to stumble by their false instruction. 
They totally corrupted the Levitical covenant. They dealt treacherously with their Jewish brothers. They profaned God's sanctuary. They married women who worshipped foreign deities and false gods. They emotionally went to worship and offered unacceptable offerings to God by weeping and crying. They divorced their Jewish wives of many years and married idolatrous women. They did what was evil and they said it was good. They got involved in demonic sorcery. They got involved in immoral adultery. They were false witnesses and liars. They oppressed employees and defrauded them of their wages. They oppressed widows. They oppressed orphans. They would not assist or help an alien. They didn't fear God. They robbed God of the offerings that they owed God, and they spoke arrogant words against God. Proud, arrogant words. That is really a quick way to anger God. Pride and arrogance. I'll tell you what. That's something that really will ruin a relationship with God. You know, there is something interesting I thought about when I looked at the list of things that they were saying to people. They said it was vain to serve God. They said there was no profit in obeying the word of God. They said that a relationship with God was depressing. It wasn't happy. They were saying that godless, arrogant people were being blessed of God. And they said that God builds up and supports wicked people. And they said wicked people test God and escape and get away with it. The thing that has gone through my mind is that Ephesians tells us in Ephesians chapters 4 and 5 that when God's people gather together, they should speak the truth to one another and they should be speaking in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. In other words, the thing that should happen when people gather to worship is not this junk. The thing that should happen when people gather to worship is a building up in the things of the Lord, a building up of brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, when we go down through that list of 31 things that we've just gone through, that list ought to be used by us as a personal checklist. Because remember this, these were people who regularly were going to worship services. And those who pursue the things on this list are going to discover we're missing the blessings of God. And those that are going to worship services that are pursuing these kinds of things will discover God isn't going to use us, God isn't going to prosper us, God isn't going to protect us. There is a list of God's people, and this is the list of what they were like, and yet they were going to the temple and playing a religious game. And that's why there's this incredible list of things they were doing. God stopped speaking to this group of people for the next 450 years until John the Baptist shows up. And the religious game that this list clearly establishes was being played when Jesus Christ actually showed up some 450 years later, and the religious game players that were leading the game were the scribes, Pharisees, and priests. So even though there was this gap of about 450 years between the time when these people were actually involved in this stuff, and then you get to when Jesus Christ actually is in Jerusalem at this temple, they're still playing that game. So before Malachi brought the Old Testament prophets to a conclusion, there was one final message that he had for the people. And the one final message that he had for the people was future final judgment. Malachi ends the book. He ends up ending the Old Testament in our English translations by communicating this very point. A judgment day is coming. A judgment day is coming in the future in which God will fully judge and fully display those right with him and those who are not. So now is the time to make changes. Those changes need to be made now.
God's people who have spiritual wits about them better develop a fear and reverence for God, and they better get real serious about the Word of God and obeying the Word of God and analyzing their own hearts because the theme that Malachi ends the book with is judgments on the way. You know, we sing, what a day that will be when my Jesus I will see. Well, it will be a day, all right. I'm not sure the day is going to go just the way everybody thinks it's going to go. But it'll be a day when we see the Lord Jesus Christ, but it may not be what one expected. Now, you'll notice verse 1 says, the day is coming. For behold, the day is coming. For, and I'm going to point out that conjunction in just a minute, but look, the day is coming. There is coming a day. There is a literal day. A literal day. A literal day when all the arrogant people are going to be gone. There will be a literal day when Jesus Christ is going to return and separate the righteous from the wicked. It is called by Isaiah the day of the Lord. It is called by Joah the day of the Lord, and he says there's never been anything like it. Amos describes the day of the Lord as a ferocious day of darkness and gloom that will specifically bring righteous judgment against the phony religious world. And Malachi calls it the great and terrible day of the Lord. He calls that right here in this context. Now people think of the day of the Lord as it's going to be a wonderful party day. I mean, when people think of the day of the Lord, they think it's going to be just a good old great day. But boy, I'll tell you what, before that day... The people of God need to take a real serious look at themselves. Honest, introspective look at self. Because I'll tell you what, that day for any one of us is going to be intimidating and religious game players are going to pay a high price. They'll pay an eternal price on that day. Now you'll notice, as we pointed out, verse 1 begins with a conjunction for... That connects us back to verses 17 and 18. There's a day coming. And then verse 18, you will again distinguish between righteous and wicked. So there's a day coming, a day of the Lord, that's going to make a day that will bring about distinguishing judgments. That's what the day will be. It will be a day that brings about distinguishing judgments. And what we learn here is that the day of the Lord will be a day that occurs and God will make a judgment distinction between those that were righteous and those that were not. And there are seven final observations we want to make about this day that Malachi brings out in this prophecy as he brings the book to a conclusion. The first observation is this day is coming, it will burn like a furnace. Boy, that's not a happy language. Verse 1, for behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace. Now, you know, when I first read that, burning like a furnace, your mind cannot help but go back to Daniel. And you think of that fiery furnace, and you think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And if you go back to the book of Daniel, and then you go to chapter 7, verses 9 to 10, we read in chapter 7, verses 9 to 10, that there's a river of fire that's flowing as the books are opened. And since we've just come out of a context that talked about books, a book of remembrance, we brought that out, those that were faithful and feared the Lord. But since we are talking about that, what we're talking here is a very eschatological, fiery judgment that will be brought about by God. And that is the point. God says, I'm going to burn up sinful things. I'm going to burn up sinful people in judgment. And he uses fire as his literal language. That's not my language. That's not your language. This is God's language. And what fiery judgment will immediately show is who's righteous and who isn't. So what Malachi says is, I want you to know that day that's coming 
it's going to be burning like a furnace. Secondly, it's a day that's coming that will burn all arrogant, evil people. Verse 1 says, And all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff, and the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts. I don't know how you dance around that, quite honestly. God says in his word here, I'm going to burn people up. I'm going to burn people up. I'm going to burn up every arrogant, evil person. And not only will they be burned up, but their roots will be burned up. There's no root or branch. So there's nothing left of them anymore on the face of this earth, not even a memory. Now, there are two applications, I think, to the threat that he's going to burn up these people. First of all, he will literally burn them up, physically destroy them with fire. I think there will be a literal physical application to this. And secondly, he will spiritually burn them up and eternally let them burn in fire forever. We believe both applications are accurate applications. God is literally going to burn up people with fire, kind of like Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's going to cast people into the eternal fires of hell. People need to understand this. They don't like this, but they need to understand this. When you look at that judgment that we'll look at in Revelation chapter 20, verses 14 and 15, there are people that are being cast in the eternal lake of fire. So what Malachi basically says is you need to understand something. You people that are playing these religious games, but you don't have a heart that's right with the Lord, you need to understand that there is coming a day, and that is going to be a day of furnace judgment. As Dr. S. Lewis Johnson said, God will set them ablaze and they'll be burned like chaff. In fact, they actually say that. He will burn them like chaff, will be chaff. Now, there are a couple of things about chaff that certainly are worthy of mentioning. I mean, first of all, chaff burns fast. If you burn the chaff, the dust and the chaff that's in there, I mean, that'll start a fire in a heartbeat. It burns quick. And the other thing about chaff is it's worthless. There's no value to it. That is why in the grain fields, they would take the wheat and they would put it down and throw it up on the threshing floors and separate the chaff from the wheat because it's absolutely worthless. And so what God is saying here, what Malachi is saying here is when this day comes, when this day comes, there is coming a day in which they are going to be burned up. They are worthless in the sight of God. They're going to be burned up. There will be no root of their arrogance or evil left in existence. There will not be a branch of arrogance or any evil left. There will not be root or branch. In other words, there will be no chance, once this happens, of it ever growing again. Once this judgment comes, it is over. Once this judgment is meted out, it settles the score. Once this judgment is done, there's nothing left for God to burn up because he will have burned it up. So there's the second observation we make about this judgment. Now, the third observation is it'll be a wonderful time for those who fear the Lord. Verse 2, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will arise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. You will tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. When Jesus Christ returns, it is going to be a glorious day for the people of God. Those that loved him and those who feared him, those that loved the word of God and those who were living for him, it's going to be a 
wonderful day, and there are four realities brought out about it that Malachi ends the book with. First of all, the son of righteousness will heal. That's what verse 2 says. Verse 2 says the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. Now, God's people are going to eventually shine like the sun, and the son of righteousness could be understood here as the son of blessing, but the one who actually brings about this blessing and brings about this righteousness turns out to be the son, S-O-N, of righteousness. And just as the sun can bring fiery judgment, so the sun can bring refreshment and revival. Rays of light and healing will be given to all righteous people. They'll be blessed. They'll be blessed by the sun, like rays of the sun. They will filter out and they will pour out the blessings of God on a faithful people of God. That's what he's saying here. This day that is coming that will be a day of the Lord will be a day when the righteous will be healed. Secondly, the people will skip in freedom. Notice verse 2, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. Now, I have never really been around a calf that's in a stall, but I've been around a little colt that's in a stall. And I'll tell you, that is really fun to watch. Because the moment that that stall is open, if you've got a colt of a horse in a stall and you open that thing up for the first time, that little animal is out of that stall faster than a bullet. I mean, he's out of that stall and he's hopping around and he's jumping around and he's gyrating just happy to be free out there in the area with the freedom that he enjoys. And that's exactly the language and the imagery that Malachi is using here. He's saying it will be a day when the people who fear the Lord are going to be skipping around in life and jumping for joy and freedom. There'll be nothing there to hinder them anymore. There will be no sin principle, no hindering sin. That's what the day of the Lord is going to do or B, for the faithful people of God, it'll set them free. They'll finally be able to enjoy the world. They'll finally be able to enjoy life. And they'll finally be able to enjoy all the blessings that God will give them. The people will skip in freedom like a calf, or in the case I use, like a colt. Now the third reality is the people will trample down the wicked. Verse 3 says you'll tread down the wicked. God's people are one day, and here's the imagery, are going to control the world. Man. What a world it'll be when God's people that fear the Lord control the world. Righteousness will reign. And I literally think there's a literal application to this in literally walking over, trampling over dead bodies. Because in Ezekiel 39 verse 12 we read, For seven months the house of Israel will be burying them in order to clean the land. So the wicked people will be lying dead in the land in Israel, and it will take God's people seven months just to bury them. So they're literally going to be walking over bodies, and they're literally going to be digging holes and trampling the wicked while they're burying them. This is not only figurative of the fact that they're going to dominate the earth, they're literally probably going to do this, trample down the wicked. And then, fourthly, they'll trample on their ashes. Verse 3 says, and they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day I'm preparing, says the Lord of hosts. This, again, I take it as literal. God will literally have burned these people up. I mean, there will be ashes of people, ashes of burnt bodies. And literally, God is going to allow his people to enjoy the land, and literally, they'll be walking, looking down at ashes of people that made a mockery of God and a mockery of them. And I think also this has 
ramifications literally and eternally because those people literally are going to be burning one day in hell and we are not. We'll be living life on the earth, enjoying the splendor and glory of God. Now, the fourth observation is the day is coming when God's people will remember Moses' law. Verse 4 says, Remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and ordinance which I command him in Horeb for all Israel. Write down next to that a couple of references. I won't take you there tonight, but Jeremiah 31, 33, write that one down. And also write down Hebrews 10, 16 to 17. Because those two passages make it clear that when this day finally gets here, God's going to take the law and write it on their hearts. They'll not only remember the law, it'll actually be written in them. And he identifies Moses here as being the servant of the Lord, and he specifies that the people of God need to focus on the statutes and commandments of God that he gave at Oreb, which was Mount Sinai, and he gave those things for all Israel. So he gave them to Israel. Now, we're not under the law. We know that. We've certainly been seeing that in Romans, and we certainly see that in Galatians. But there is an application that we can make from the principle, and that is we need to be people focused on the word of God and take it very seriously regardless of the dispensation. And that, of course, is what the vast majority of people connected to this church do. I mean, they frankly are here because they take the word of God seriously, and that should be our mindset as we wait for this day to occur. In all reality, the reason why God stopped speaking to Israel for the next 450 years is because they didn't take the word of God seriously. They didn't take the law of God seriously. They weren't even following through on the basic principles of worship at the temple. They weren't even doing that. So there will come a time when these people are going to remember the word of God. And in this context, it'll be they'll remember the statutes and the commandments that were written by Moses that specifically had them in view. But for anyone in any dispensation, they need to be serious about the word. Now, the fifth observation, there's coming a day when God will send Elijah as a prelude to the great and terrible day of the Lord. Verse 5 says, Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Now, remember in the third chapter and the first verse of Malachi, he said, I'm going to send my messenger. Now, that was John the Baptist we pointed out when we went through there. Now, this promises I'm going to send not John the Baptist, but before this happens, this day of the Lord business, I'm going to send Elijah. And he already has done that once, which I've thought long and hard about that. Elijah did come once. In fact, in Matthew 17, 2 to 13, and also you can find the story in Mark and Luke, but probably the most extensive part of it is Matthew 17, 2 to 13. Both Moses and Elijah did appear at the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. So we could legitimately say Elijah has already showed up before the great and terrible day of the Lord. In fact, we can go a step further. We could actually say Elijah and Moses have already showed up before the rapture. They showed up already. So there's already been one appearance that Elijah has made. In fact, when Peter, James, and John were coming down the mountain after seeing Moses and Elijah with the Lord, Jesus said to them, tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. 
So don't even tell people until I've been risen from the dead. Well, after Christ had risen from the dead, they did tell people about Moses and Elijah, and they should have immediately then, the nation Israel should have immediately realized this is the Son of Man. This is the God person who's going to rule the world and take over the world. He's the one who's going to inaugurate the day of the Lord. But they, they didn't acknowledge that. They still haven't acknowledged that. It's very conceivable that just before the day of the Lord appears again, that Elijah once again would come. And if he does, there's pretty solid evidence that he could show up before this very day of the Lord physically again on earth then it'll be the second time he appeared. He appeared once at the transfiguration, but when John the Baptist came, he appeared for all the people to see. It's very conceivable that Elijah will again show up physically for the people to see just before the day of the Lord. The sixth observation is the day is coming when God will restore the family. Notice verse 6, he'll restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Now, when the day of the Lord comes, there's going to be a restoration of family, but this is not just about restoration of families. This is about a restoration to God with the families. That's what this is. So what you actually have here in this statement is a restoration that is taking place with everyone, the fathers and the children and all the people are being restored in their relationship to God and each other. So they're going to have a wonderful existence as they exist in that capacity. The final observation is a day is coming when the curse is going to be gone. Verse 6, so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. When the judgments have been completed, the day of the Lord is over, the curse will be gone, the people of Israel will be in that land, they'll finally have control, it'll be a righteous land, and they will blossom as a rose. Now what this book of Malachi shows us is that just because people are faithful to go to church doesn't mean they have hearts right with the Lord. Just because people are faithful to go to church does not mean that we're right with God. Just because people would go and serve and give and sing and, and even listen, because those people did that, they listen, does not mean the hearts are right with God. God's people in Malachi's day did every bit of that, but then you look at that list of things that showed their hearts weren't right with God. So if there's one thing that I think this book of Malachi should do, it should certainly prompt us to ask God, keep us from becoming like that. Keep us, Lord, from becoming cold-hearted, hard-hearted, indifferent to the precious word of God. Keep us sensitive to the will of God and word of God and spirit of God. I think if Malachi should really speak to our minds and hearts, it ought to speak to us that way because it's possible to get into this ritualistic mindset that says, well, I just go through motions, but my heart isn't in it. God said, I want your heart in it. And that certainly is revealed in this book of Malachi. Well, that completes the book. And I want to thank you for taking time out of your life, nine weeks out of your life to go through the book. Next week, we start a new study, as I mentioned, on how to study and interpret the Bible. And if that doesn't excite you, I don't blame you. So if you don't show, I'll know why you're not here. But for those of you that want to learn that, we're going to go through a lot of interesting material. Thanks for coming. Good night. The Lord bless you.